You're listening to the Mindfulpreneur Podcast, where I help entrepreneurs who are in the early stages of building their brands learn how to leverage their brand for business growth. My name's Alyssa Zwanek, and over the last five years, I've supported over 150 businesses build, launch, and grow their brands through my agency, Nomad Creative. My mission is simple. I want to empower people like you to fuel your brand's growth through marketing, branding, and social media initiatives. And I'm going to do that by sharing strategic, actionable steps and the stories of others who have successfully done just that. Join me weekly so I can help you take your brand to the next level. Welcome to the Mindfulpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Zwana. Let's get into it. What's up, guys? Today's guest started a business with her dad from their home garage seven years ago and have since scaled the company, achieving massive success, generating millions of dollars in sales. The entire business was bootstrapped, meaning they didn't rely on any investors in the early years. And let me tell you, this girl is super impressive. Roberta Mantenuto, CEO and co-founder of FITS, has bravely stepped into a male-dominated industry and challenged its standards over and over. Her approach and passion towards brand, team culture, and sustainable growth is apparent as I uncover the stories and strategies behind her leadership. On this episode, we talk about brand building, sustainable business growth, how to navigate working with family, the benefits of D2C versus B2B channels, why diversity in an organization is important, and so much more. This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs. All right, Roberta, I am welcoming you, my CEO, my female CEO, I should say, with open arms. There aren't many of us in the world, but we are growing and we are taking over. I do believe that. <laughs> We're going to talk all about what it's like to be a woman in your industry and really as a CEO in general, um, and how you were able to grow fits into a multi-million dollar company with a team of 35 people, four facilities, and 10 plus patents. But before we go into that, can you let everybody know what fits is all about? Yeah. Wow. What an incredible introduction. Thank you. I'm like <laughs> sitting here thinking, what is she talking about me? Like, how did this happen? It's um, funny because we're all like working from home and like sitting behind computers now. And it's hard to believe yeah. that we're actually like running companies. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, you're doing it. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, Fitz is uh, a company that I started with my dad. My dad is an inventor type. He's kind of like a really zany dude. And he came up with this product. The first product was a vent. So we actually used to be called Ari event because we went to market with a single vent. And mm -hmm. the whole ethos of fits is that we want to reimagine mundane, unloved products that elevate your space. So uh, interior design, you know, everyone has an everyone loves interior design, they really take care of the spaces that they live in. And it's just curating those small things that you know, our necessary building components like vents and light switches and fans in the bathroom, but they don't look great. Yeah. <laughs> and so we are on a mission to change the way that you see all of those things. Yeah. And to like paint a picture for people too, it's not just like 
a normal looking vent that is like the same color of your floor. Like it straight up blends right in. It's almost like you're taking a cutout. Like let's say if you were having the floor vent, a cutout of your floor that makes it look super seamless. So there's obviously like a border to get the air through in and out, but it looks so gorgeous. And you use the actual material of whatever surface this ugly thing is on right to make it blend in and like when I saw the product I was like oof my my designer in me was like yes like I want to change my whole house (laughs) to them (laughs) yeah they're they're very different and they're all designed to just kind of hide in plain sight so that you know you build a beautiful house you make it you create a beautiful space even if you're a renter you're just moving in and you want to make sure that every component of the home just kind of like gels together works together Mm -hmm. and so for my dad, the inventor, it just blew his mind that we were working on, like he was working on these like multi-million dollar projects where they were spending so much time curating every little inch of it. And then you would just slap like an ugly brown vent in the room. He's yeah. like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. We can, we can do better than that. And yeah. so and how that's come kind no one of thought of where it, it sooner, started. right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like, yes, where has this so. been all of our lives? This should be a standard for all homes. Forget like the multi-million dollar homes. What about like the regular Joe Schmo? Let's just throw out the plastic ones. <laughs> well, that is our mission. Our mission is to become Take the over. new standard. So I, we're going to get there. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to get there. All right. So you mentioned working with your dad. So was this a, a collaboration from the beginning or what does that relationship look like? And how do you balance that? Because, you know, work and family life can be challenging sometimes. So how do you kind of establish those boundaries and make sure that, you know, work doesn't flow into family matters and vice versa? Yeah. So my family has had a business for my whole life. My parents always worked together and I grew up in that. That was my summer job was working for my family's business. Um, I didn't love it (laughs) but I was grateful (laughs) to have job security um and so when I went to university the whole point of going to university was like to never have to work for my family again to get you know a quote-unquote real job um and so when um so shortly after school I was traveling and when my dad messaged me with this idea he would you know, he's notorious for sending me sending people email in the middle of the night being like, I have the new biggest thing. I already got the um, domain names and I'm, I'm going to file a patent. Oh my and all God, this stuff. Like he goes all out. Like, <laughs> yes, the amount of domains that this man owns is out of this oh world. <laughs> it's, hilarious. It's outlandish. Um, but he gets very excited <laughs> because like I said, that's the type of person he is. That's how yeah. he thinks. And um, so when I received that email while I was traveling, it was not out of the ordinary. It had happened many times before. And he said, you know, I have this idea. I don't really know how to sell it. You have nothing going for you. <laughs> no. <laughs> in so many words. He's like, you don't have a job. And I love you, daughter. But... No- <laughs> yes. He's like, you don't have a return flight. So why don't you come home and just help me put together a brand and a website? Uh, he, was, he was an early adopter of Amazon. He was like, I need to put this on Amazon. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. So I very reluctantly joined my dad because I just couldn't get over this thing of, I don't want to work for you. Like I want to do cool things that my other friends were doing at these like, you know, cool new companies downtown and you know, all of that. 
yeah, it's almost like you want what you don't have in a weird way, but you've obviously turned a corner. So what did that transition look like now? Obviously you've stuck around for a reason. I'm assuming you like it and you're happy. So where did that shift happen? And when did you realize, Hey, this is actually for me and I like what I'm doing. I'll just take a step back for a second. I listen Mm -hmm. to podcasts like this all the time, hearing other entrepreneurs stories. This like really like what inspires me when I'm feeling down. And it's just so nice to hear people's stories. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times people glaze over this part. And so I want to be very clear of like how I tell my story in this way. (laughs) The first year was not even like a first year. You don't like have a solid start date. You just kind of start doing this and working on it. And then you, you look back six months and you're like, Oh, has it been six months that I've been trying to put together a brand and a website? So like, it's a really hard to say like when it actually started. That's um, fair, actually. That's a good point. Because if when I think of like when I say I launched Nomad Creative, it was 2018. But that's when like my website was ready to go. My portfolio had been uploaded. Like I had probably been actually working on it for like over six months before that, you know? Right. And so that six months for you and it was kind of like 18 months for, for me. Mm-hmm it's a really weird time because you're working on this thing. It's kind of embarrassing to tell other people. So you don't really tell other people. And like, it just, it's like, you have so much like kind of shame of like, it's just me and my dad selling these weird vents that he made <laughs> out of my family's garage. Like I made a web, like it was just weird. Like it felt Why did very you feel embarrassed though. Because uh, I think a big part of it was because I was with my dad. And it was okay. just, I, I know what that sounds like to other people. And, um, and so we were very clear when we started, if we're going to do this, we're going to, we're going to do this together as partners, like mm-hmm. equal partners. And he was very down for that. And so that's kind of been the tone of our relationship ever since he is mm-hmm. really great at building product. And he knows that very well. I don't step on his toes there. And I've kind of proven myself in like actually building the business and the brand and the team and like how the inner workings of everything happens. So we kind of both stay in our lanes and that was true from the beginning and also today. Um, And so I think that's part of the secret sauce of working with family is understanding that like, yes, exactly. Which feels somewhat unnatural because obviously he's my dad. He's like, you know, (laughs) held me as a baby and now he's sees me as his equal it's 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 strange but but that's um, actually yeah very beautiful and healthy I have to say you know yeah I think it's the only really way to do it um it, it wasn't like he started it he started he built this whole company and then I joined after and kind of had to fall into the lines of the of the grooves that he set um right. we did it together so mm-hmm. you know we could just be like really mindful the whole way through but yeah that first like 18 months it's a strange time. I was also very it's young. Yeah. <laughs> like, How old were you? How old were you? I'm curious. I was um, 24. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 24. Everyone's in their first jobs. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of my friends were working at tech companies that like had these cool corporate cultures. And like, just think about me and my dad in my family's garage, making no money. <laughs> like I was packaging boxes. How it's just it like very uncool yeah now I feel like and even now that sounds like so you know fun and exciting uh but I don't know if if at that time seven years ago it was it was like that I just wasn't exposed to it because I was so young but Mm -hmm. it felt very 
unexciting for me. And so I was really reluctant to to like hop on this. I was like, okay, I'll build you a website, then I'm going to go. And I was still, I actually went back to school to be an interior designer. Um, oh. And I was like, okay, I'll make you a box and then I'll get you on Amazon. And then you need to figure somebody out to like help you do this. And then about a year and a half in, I realized, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I'm going to, this is working. People are buying this. I'm yeah. being a brat. I can learn a lot here and I can kind of like do things the way that I want to because it's I'm by myself essentially my dad wasn't really involved in the day-to-day he's still not and I kind of came to of like it doesn't really matter that I don't have a burning passion for vents or building materials um because what I'm doing I do have a passion for yeah it's the entrepreneurship part of it like the building of the team and the business and so it doesn't necessarily matter what the actual business is you know, as long as it still aligns with your general values and you feel comfortable with what you're selling, then business is business. Yeah. my That's one thing I learned from my dad. He told me like when I was younger and I was working as a, a, a receptionist for him, he would say like, you need to be able to find the passion in everything you do, because that's the, that's the only way you're going to survive. Essentially. If you yeah. only want to follow things that you're passionate about, you, like you're going to miss so many opportunities in life. And so that kind of hit me square in the face about a year and a half in, like, let me try to find the passion here. And when I did that, I realized it's it's not really about what you sell. It's more about how you sell it. That's such an interesting perspective too, I find, because in a lot of the people that I speak to and interview, they're all about like following your passions and your dreams and that if it doesn't align, don't go that route. But I love your perspective on you can find passion in anything that you're doing. It's a matter of finding it and understanding where it is, right? And of course, you know, maybe you never will. That's a possibility. But the fact that you did and you gave it that chance and you tried and you went forward, I think that's also a good lesson for people that like, yes, there will be hard times. Yes, sometimes you're probably going to want to give up. Yes, sometimes you're going to question like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing, what I want to be doing? But if you push through, eventually you'll kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and get that clarity and be like, you know what? I actually really fucking love this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. I think like that's part of the the lie that we were kind of told. Um, mm-hmm. I'm assuming we're the same generation. So our generation of like, go to university, and then you're going to get a yeah. really good job and you can follow your passion. And that can be whatever, like whatever you want to do, you're going to be able to do. And so a lot of times, like people will just fall into like starting companies of you know, out of a need that they personally had, or they are like the main consumer of their company. That's probably like the most common entrepreneurial story, which is great. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of beautiful things come from that. But there's so many different types of stories. And mine is not like that. Mine's actually literally the opposite. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is cool. And this is like strange. (laughs) And then kind of coming to and realizing, oh, this is actually a lot of fun, but I'm not the target demographic. I'm not the target consumer. I can actually be a lot more creative with how I approach this and Mm. not get so um, like not have your blinders on, right? When you're so focused on like, well, what would I want? What kind of packaging or product would I be interested in? It becomes quite limiting. In my opinion. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing that you're not that target demographic and that maybe you don't 
see things out of the the normal consumer's eye. So how do you balance that? Like, how do you make sure that you are giving them what they want, understanding their voice if you are not that target? Like, what strategies do you put in place to make sure that you are still listening and paying attention? Yeah, that's a great question. Social media is an incredible way. Customers will tell you what they want. They will, mm-hmm. they love to give feedback, especially when you're starting up. Um, they love to share with you, which is actually great because you get to, they pretty much build the product pipeline for you. Yeah. Um, so I think being open to, to hearing that feedback, even if you disagree with it, um, you know, recently we rebranded our company and uh, only when we rebranded it did we realize how passionate everyone felt about our previous name and our previous brand. And so what um, was it? I, we used to be called Ari Event. Uh, right. That oh, is yeah. still the name of our of our main product, but we found it limiting because we're not just event company anymore. That's yeah. what we started out of my family's garage. But mm-hmm. now we do so many other things and we thought it's just time to do this more thoughtfully now that we actually know who we are we've had some time with our products and our our customers and our brand and like now we can actually be more mindful to be honest our event was just the last best name that my dad and i had in a three month back and forth of all the the domain he purchased (laughs) exactly it was a it was an available domain and i was like i'm i'm done talking about this let's just do it i don't like what does it even matter? Who knows if this name is even going to matter one day, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah. In doing in doing the rebrand, we got a lot of feedback from um, our customers. Uh, people loved it. Some people don't like the change, right? They take some time to adapt to it. Of course, uh, and even though like I that. feel very, yeah, I feel very strongly that our name is going to make sense. It makes sense, and people are going to grow to love it. The ones that are hesitant, resistant to change. I mean, that always happens. Uh, but it's good to know, oh my God, people care so deeply that they're messaging us about this rebrand that they love the old name, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't matter. Even the if fact that they even noticed. Feedback. Yeah, the fact that they yeah. even noticed and they cared and they went and they had a voice. I think that's super important. Like you said, is to pay attention what your customers are saying. Because especially when you are, you know, let's say the target and you're creating something maybe to to suit your needs or to solve your problem, you might have this tunnel vision. And then just because someone says that, oh, it's not working for them, or they would prefer it a different way, you might be pushing back because you're connecting personally to it. Whereas in your case, it's the complete opposite. You're just there to listen and apply and make those changes. And like you said, it kind of builds your product pipeline from there, because if they might even have suggestions or present new challenges or struggles or whatnot, and kind of give you that next idea, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I think you have to also understand the context of the industry and the space that we're in. We're in the building materials products or yeah, yeah, building material products industry. Right. So Mm -hmm. brand is not, they're not as thought out as other brands in cosmetics or makeup or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. those brands are beautiful. Every part of it is like absolutely stunning. There is so Mm -hmm. much thought in that. That is not happening in other industries. And so I was really inspired by other companies who were taking these like really unsexy products in these very unsexy industries and then just making them cool. Like a perfect example are all of the box mattresses. Yeah. Like 
what? It's a mattress. Like we used to buy them from sleep country. (laughs) Like it was a very unfun experience. And now it's like, you know, a topic, like they they advertise so heavily. It's like, it almost becomes like our identity of like which box mattress we decided to purchase and what the experience was like. Yeah, for sure. And they all have, well, a lot of them have really good, strong branding too, and visual identity, how they can be identified, what they look like, how they communicate, all of those elements that probably in your industry was kind of second thought. Like it was, it was never really top of mind on how you present yourself as a business. It's just like, Hey, I have these products because everyone needs them. So it doesn't really matter what I look like as a business because people are going to come and buy them because they need them regardless. Right. Whereas like you were like, you know what, I'm going to approach this differently and say like, yeah, they need them, but what if they want them to look good? It's like, you're almost targeting like the want from people because the need it's like, yeah, okay, go buy the plastic one that looks like crap, who cares? But it's more of the Mm -hmm. want and that obviously luxury high end appeal. You have a clear target demographic. How have you been able to to navigate like being in this male dominated industry as a woman? Yeah, that's a great question. I think honestly, very surprisingly to myself, a a good chunk of the buyers at the big box companies are actually women. And Mm. so it's not as siloed as you would imagine. I think the, um, you know, just like little small things, nothing major has ever happened. But, you know, when I walk into a room, especially when I was 25 years old, right, I would Mm. walk in, be the youngest person there, everyone is old enough, some people to be my grandfather. Um, (laughs) And so yeah, like they're from a different generation, they have a different point of view. And here I am walking in, (laughs) right with my dad. So Mm. immediately, like, there's already a okay, I need to talk to him, not to her. And my dad has always been excellent at being like, I'm not the one you need to talk to, you need to chat with her. And so um, having people like kind of, you just see like, that shift of, oh, okay, this is strange. Are you sure? Like, you know, um, it's, it's an interesting experience. But I, you know, I think, again, if there's a competitive advantage to it, I, I don't know of any other company in our industry who's been, who's led by a female CEO of my age. Um, and so how we do things is obviously different because I'm running it, right? I have a completely different it. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a, I have a totally different perspective and there's yeah. actually, that actually sets us apart in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really notice it. And we're not a female brand by any means. Like our yeah. main demographic is, is men. Um, yeah, I, I don't see it as a negative. I see it as a huge opportunity. It has been, no doubt. I think any woman anywhere is a huge opportunity. Let's just say that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> okay. Let's talk a little bit about um, the team and the company culture. I know that that's super important for you guys. You've built this um, business sustainably too with profit top of mind. So let's talk a little bit about that. What does the team look like and how did you get to where you are today where you have you know over 35 employees working for you? Yeah, so uh, the team, not surprisingly, does not look like any other team in our industry. <laughs> so okay. um, I don't so? think we have, we have never hired, I have to make sure, I'm pretty sure we have never hired anyone that is from this industry. Every person we hire comes from somewhere else. 
um, mm, which cool. again is a competitive advantage because we approach things in a different way than the rest of yeah. the people in our industry. Um, we have a majority of our leaders are women. That wasn't like really intentional, although I'm very mindful happened. of, yeah. yes, I'm very mindful of having, you know, a full female teams or full male teams. I think it's very important to have a good balance of both and also have, you know, be mindful of adversity to make sure that you're getting different points of view and people from different walks of life. It just enriches mm-hmm. the culture and also enriches the brand and makes you more mindful, all the, all the things that you know, yeah. we don't have to get into. Um, so, um, yeah, did I answer your question? Did you ask me? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> just kind of, kind of how you got to that point, right? Because you started off with zero; it was just you and your dad. So now you have thirty-five people working for you, and you have four facilities. That's a lot to manage. So, what did that kind of growth journey look like? And and also from a profitability standpoint too. Yeah. So every the growth had to be sustainable. Uh, we've never put ourselves in a position where we were taking on more than we can afford. Um, that was top of mind everything like this whole company has been uh, completely bootstrapped we never fundraise and, and none of that stuff because um we wanted to make sure that it was a sus- viable sustainable business and we weren't just you know living off fumes or on a dream um the team growth was fairly quick we went from to myself and, and my dad to four to 13 um think we went to 13 in 2021 and then we were 23 or 24 in 2022 and now we're ending at 35 in 2023 and really the idea of adding to the team so from the beginning we've always built our business to scale every process that we do needs to work today and needs to work you know in a year from now when we're 5x what we're doing today. If the process doesn't work at 5x, the process is broken already today. We need to start mm-hmm. fixing it. So um, when you and say, so the when same you say thing process goes, though, sorry, before you continue, when you say yeah. process, like, could you be more specific? Because process can mean a lot of different things in different businesses. So like, what is one yeah. process within your business that you've made sure is working? Yeah. Okay. Uh, a really uh, simple example would be our e-commerce or fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm getting um, if I'm getting fifty orders a day, however I'm processing those orders, if it's going to take me two hours to process fifty orders, it is not going to work when that those fifty orders turn into five hundred orders because then it's going right. to take me like three days to fill them. So mm-hmm. the process that we have to fulfill those orders at fifty needs to work all the way up to 500. And if it's not working today to sustain 500, then that process needs to be rebuilt today so that when we get to 500, we mm. don't break. Everything can right. still flow smoothly. Planning and so makes sense. Right. So part of that is, you know, how are we pulling those orders into our ERP system? Um, how are we actually fulfilling them in the warehouses? How many people are there? The solution isn't to add 10 people to fulfill 500 orders. The solution is to stay the same size or slightly larger and mm-hmm. then have, you know, be able to optimize and scale that, that process. Yeah. So Build a lot of the, er- exactly. A lot of the early years, I would say the past like four or five years, we're really focusing on those. Like the company is growing. It is not going to stop growing. That has become quite clear. So we mm-hmm. need to start preparing. And a part of that preparation was also hiring people. 
but being mindful that we're not just hiring people to solve problems like that fulfillment example I gave. I don't want to add 10 people when I know I can solve that by, you know, optimizing a process. Uh, I want to make sure that we add people in the places where um, we're not putting them in positions where they're doing just like repetitive work that can be automated, right? I, mm-hmm. We want people in positions where we actually need their brain power, their you know, strategic thinking, um, to creative thinking, to do those things that an automated Excel sheet cannot do, in other words. Right. That's true. And that automation portion, I think, is super important as well. Um, those are things that I've been kind of implementing over the years with Nomad too. It's like, as you grow, you realize you need these things in order to be sustainable and to be able to grow and to scale. And it's like, okay, now I'm in a point where like, I have a a certain team in place. I trust them. Everything works. We have the processes down. Everything is documented. So if someone comes, someone goes, like there's no issue there. And then in terms of like, I mean, I'm an agency, so it's a little bit different, but like our onboarding process, what does that look like? And we have to make sure that the experience is the same for every single client too. Like I'm sure for you, that has to be the same buying experience for every single client Mm -hmm. because your business is not just your product. There's so much more attached to that. And it's like the whole client experience is really what I think brands today, what makes brands today different than, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago is the experience portion and how people feel when they're interacting and engaging with brands, which is essentially what makes them memorable and what makes them stand out. Yeah, absolutely. It's every little bit of the experience, even throwing away the packaging of the product that you sold them. That is a part of the experience. Mm -hmm. Like every moment of it needs to be thoughtful. Okay. So back to the brand portion in terms of like building that brand awareness, standing out, you said that you're, you know, you are doing things differently than any other company in your industry. So how was that received by others? Did you have any pushback? Um, And I guess like, what is the trajectory moving forward? It seems pretty positive. So assuming it was pretty well received. I mean, well received by some, but not others. I mean, there's obviously friction like expected friction when you when you do things that are unexpected. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not a reason to stop. So a really mm-hmm. good example is when we first started, we knew that nobody was going to take us seriously. No stores were going to take on our product until we proved to them that there was a demand for the product. So out of necessity, we went direct to consumer first. We opened oh. a Shopify store before Shopify was an, was even like a name that people knew. I, I literally Googled make my own online store. And that was yeah. the one that came up. And I was, cool. We'll Sick. go with this. <laughs> and, and we started selling on Amazon as well. And that was, is, is obviously a, a, a business plan that most people are following now. But seven years ago in the building uh, materials industry, nobody was doing that. And mm-hmm. so we were able to leverage Instagram at the time. It was a highly visual platform. People, designers and contractors were just starting to use that as a way to actually like generate business and get projects. And our product was highly visual, also a little bit strange, like it created conversation and engagement. And so the timing kind of just worked. And once we started to actually get customers through Instagram, they would come easily transact on our Shopify store. And then we would go to retailers and say, hey, I have people buying online. Like, I'm sh- going to show you. There's a market for this. Why don't you sales. take this yeah. on? Right. Yeah. And they would still say no. 
only until those oh. customers who were buying from us online went to the stores themselves and say, I've been ordering these for every project. I don't want to pay for shipping anymore. And I'm here two times a week. Can you guys start carrying them? And wow. that's how we built a lot of our B2B business. So we have two channels. We have direct to consumer and B2B. And they kind of feed into each other. Wherever we grow on direct to consumer, that's kind of the top of the funnel that helps support the growth of the B2B. And so obviously now when you go to B2B customers and you, especially in our industry, they can't, they have a difficult time understanding, well, you're selling directly to my customer. Why would I ever carry your product? Like mm-hmm. that is a mental shift that needs to happen in the industry. It's already starting to happen. Luckily, because of 2020, everybody woke up and was like, holy shit, I can't sell anything when my store is closed. I need yeah. to start selling online. And that kind of was a catalyst where we don't really have that conversation as often anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens a lot. I mean, even with like, it's reminding me like with Nomad, we started off as a remote agency and there was so much pushback. This was in 2018 and it was Mm -hmm. a conversation and I had to sell and explain that it is possible. We can do our work remote, blah, blah, blah. Now it's not even a topic of conversation, you know? So like, I totally get that. And I think what's so commendable too, is that your customers who are buying from you online went themselves to these stores and took it upon themselves and were like, hey, we love this product. You better freaking carry it. You know, like why wouldn't they yeah. want to take the business? So how does that work if we were to compare? I mean, we I think we all know for like direct to consumer B2B, like where it's coming from, whether it's the website or like from a store. Um, but from a business standpoint, like how does that affect your margins and do the B2Bs like get a, a better price on the product or do they sell it at a more expensive rate because there's no like shipping included. What does that look like for you guys? So all of our products are price mapped, which means that there's a minimum advertised price uh, that is on our website and also through our retailers. So if you wanted to buy our product, if you bought it on our website or through a store, you would pay the same price. You just mm-hmm. maybe wouldn't wait or pay for the shipping. That's the only mm-hmm. difference. And so of course our B2B partners need to make money. So they'll buy it from us at a wholesale price we sell larger volumes through B2B. That's typically the case. Um, And so we can actually scale our B2B easier because we are doing fewer orders that are bigger. Whereas uh, direct-to-consumer, obviously we have smaller orders and then there's just so many more of them. Um, Would you say that's the majority of your business right now? Which one? Direct-to-consumer? It's a mix. It's a mix of both. Um, it depends also what market you're in. There's there's a, a difference, like in more mature markets or ones that we're, we're just newly entering. What I think is important is that we constantly need to diversify our business. Uh, you need to make sure, or for us, um, I don't know about everybody else, but for us, we needed to make sure that we were making we had different channels. We weren't all direct to consumer and we weren't all B2B. Um, that's, I think, what's is part of the secret sauce of building a brand quickly and uh, you know, at exponential growth is making sure you're going to market in multiple ways. Um, mm. Another thing is going to market with multiple products, right? Not just vents. That's a big part of the reason why we diversified. How many, how often does somebody buy a vent in their lifetime? Like, right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Less. Um, yeah. So Probably you want to make common. sure that you can, you can get um, 
you can offer products that make sense. You know, we're not just making products to make products that make sense. They follow our design ethos and that we can actually uh, maintain that customer and give them new things constantly. We didn't want to build a business just on one product that, mm-hmm. that poses a lot of risk. Um, yeah. And we have the we have this ad- advantage for us is that all of our products are protected by utility patent, which means that nobody can sell anything that looks or functions like our product. And patents are great, but you know patents are only great if you're willing to defend them and uh, be litigious with them. And so, unfortunately, that is inevitable when you have innovation, and um, that's also a part of the. The business model is making sure that we can protect our our innovation. Mm, because you're saying, have you have other companies tried to kind of knock you guys off? Is that what you're implying? Yeah, 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 yeah. It it happens. That's a compliment. Literally I all guess. the time. <laughs> yes, it, it happens all the time. Ask any anybody who owns a patent. It happens all the t- like more frequently than you think, and of course, it's so much easier now than ever before. So. Um, that's okay. Like that's a part of it, right? That's that's a part of making something innovative. Is that there's going to be people who will pick up on that and try to and try to do their own thing. And so making sure that you have you're you're prepared to protect the patent. That's the most important thing. Having a patent is nothing unless you're willing to defend yeah. it. So when you say you're being prepared, does this mean like making sure that there's like a lawyer readily available to like go after these people? What does that look like? Yeah, making sure that you have a really good patent lawyer, making sure that you have a sustainable company that is profitable, that can afford to defend the patent. That's a big mm-hmm. one. Um, and yeah, like those are the main things. Isn't it crazy that like you have to, it's considered an expense for your business to protect like the integrity of your company? Like how shitty is that? Like you have to spend money to make sure that someone doesn't copy the product that you came up with and that like you went out of your way to get a patent for. Like, I find that so crazy. But I guess at the end of the day too, if you think about it, the whole reason of, like you said, defending and protecting is so that you have that larger market share. Otherwise, if everyone's knocking you off, then they're probably going to do it for cheaper and then you're going to lose your business, right? Yeah. But like I said, it's it's the name of the game. If you don't mm-hmm. have a product that's innovative, then you probably are already selling something that, you know, hundreds of other people are already selling. And so how do yeah. you beat them in the market? You beat them with price, you beat them with brand, like you have to have an angle. And yeah. so this is our angle. It's not our only yeah. angle, but it's definitely a part of it. Like we came up with these innovations, um, we're protecting them and we need to do that. Like it's cool. It's you're probably the first person that I really spoke to. I don't know anyone else who like owns a patent. I feel like a lot of my circle, um, or even the people that I've interviewed on this podcast are more like service based businesses and brands mm-hmm. and less product. And if it is product, I don't know that, that they had like patents or anything. So this is the first time aside from obviously hearing about it on shark tank, I actually don't know much about patents <laughs> aside from like what they are, but then like you said, it's the name of the game. So this must be more common than I even realize that you just, you got to do it if you want to protect your business. Yeah. Crazy. That's it. By the way, I think that service businesses are so much harder and complex than product businesses. There's so many times where I think like I'm having a rough day and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful that like 
I have a physical product that, <laughs> that doesn't expire. Oh my God, so many mistakes would have happened if our products mm. were, were perishable. So yeah, I think service businesses to me are like a whole other animal, absolutely other animal. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even the industry that you're in for product too, like you mentioned perishable, like when you're in the food industry, like, yeah, I guess it's a product, but it goes bad and there's so much waste, you know, and what's cool about your business. It's like, it's, it's going to stick around forever, pretty much. I mean, you're probably going to make some changes as the years go on, as, as things change and new things come to market. But um, ultimately, it is something that you can sustain long term. But you're right. I mean, service based businesses can be challenging because, first of all, like if I were to just even talk about Nomad Creative being a creative agency, I mean, the competition is ridiculous. And my competition isn't just any other agency. It's also every other freelancer out there. So it's like when I'm, you know, meeting with a potential client and we're doing an intro call, I'm having to differentiate myself from other um, agencies and from other uh, solopreneurs or freelancers because we're kind of like in the middle, actually, you know, we bridge the gap between the two, but it it doesn't mean that people are going to necessarily believe that like we're the best option. And so sometimes it's like timing alignment. Our angle is really like the, the people thing, like our values, how we lead the team, how, you know, the company is led, like that all really matters to me. And so hopefully that kind of comes through. And at the end of the day, if it's right, it's right. But that's also like not really a business strategy, you know, like that's what makes it kind yeah. of challenging with, with services. It's like, I feel like there's just like so much more competition, but I guess certain products too, there is more competition, but I don't know. Yeah. I your, wonder if I'd be able to run people. a product based. Yeah. Oh, people. So complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Love him, but God. (laughs) Speaking of people, actually, before we wrap up, um, I know that like company culture and values is super important for you guys. Um, When we initially spoke, you mentioned the fact that like no one has like Slack on their phone and you want to make sure that your team is disconnected, that they have that good work-life balance. So could you share some of the the values within the company and how the team itself is led? I mean, none of it is revolutionary. It's, it's really basic. (laughs) I wanted to build a company uh, that I wanted to work for Mm -hmm. and I don't want to work late and I don't want to work on weekends because I know what I'm like (laughs) when I work late and when I work on weekends, I'm very unhappy and unhappy people make very bad employees and happy people make good employees. And so it's pretty simple. Like we come to work, we go hard. It is very intense. Like our hours on are very intense. Mm -hmm. And then four or five o'clock comes around whenever your end time is. We close the laptops, we go home, we recharge, spend time with our families, do things that bring us joy so that we can come back the next day and then kill it again and do it again. And I think today, especially with working from home, the there is such a blurred line between those two spaces and it can get toxic really fast. And so mm-hmm. as a leader, it is my responsibility to set the tone. I can't be sending emails at 10 o'clock and then be like, don't work. It's okay. Like, ignore that right. email. Like, obviously not. There's so much like coded Uh, expectations and when you send an email late at night, especially coming from a a superior person or like a a boss, right? Not a superior boss. So um, I set the tone immediately saying, do not put Slack on your phone. Do not put email on your phone. I could check on the Slack admin. 
who where it is logged on and I'm watching you <laughs> yes because you need to I need to be very like diligent with that yeah I, that's not the expectation as a company as your employer we have absolutely no business being in your pocket 24 7 what is that yeah. and I, I know that. I know when I get a, an email or a message about work that gives me a pit like whatever while I'm eating dinner like that throws off the rest of my night I'm not actually mm -hmm. disengaged right our mm -hmm. work is totally different. Like the, the landscape of, of the work environment is totally different than it was 50 years ago. 50 years ago, people worked on assembly lines. They left, they like did not, they were not thinking about work. We are constantly yeah. thinking about work. We're obviously, mm -hmm. we're coming down every day from like, oh, you know, you have thoughts of like, oh, that'll work, blah, blah, blah. That's great. Like that's a, that's a part of human nature. We don't need to perpetuate that by mm -hmm. mandating these ridiculous things. And so- for a lot of people who join, there's a, like a three, four month thawing period where they thawing. come down from that. <laughs> like they are shook. They join and they're like, oh, I don't know if I cannot take, put email on my phone. I'm like, don't put it. Trust me. Don't put it on. I, I'll check. <laughs> and then wow. they'll like, you know, be anxious about it. And yeah. after three months, they're like, you know, a little bit more calm. It's fine. The pace, we're not saving lives. Like we're not doctors. Like we're yeah. selling vents. It's okay. Like nothing <laughs> is that important. Your health I, and your well-being, that's what I care about. Oh my God. I, I love this. It feels so good to like hear. And I can really like see and feel the passion coming from you too. And like you said, it comes from the leader. So like you're setting the example for your whole team. And um, I mean, with the passion that you're even sharing right now, like I can see how they're like, all right, fine, I'll relax. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I hope so. I mean, and everything comes out in the wash. Like if mm -hmm. you have the right people in the right places and you show them respect and you teach them and you and you treat them like human beings, they're going to give you good work. There are certain times where you do all of that and they don't. And that's why like our, our uh, way that we, you know, build our business and our culture, there's a huge amount of accountability. Like there mm -hmm. are very clear operational ways that we keep people accountable. The main one is really scorecards. The scorecards are amazing. It is super clear for yourself and for the other team member of like how effective you're being in your role. It happens every month. There's, you know, green, yellow, red, wherever the reds are, those are the flags that come up. And that's when you start talking about, there's a lot of red here. Like, what are your days like? Oh, I'm working really late after. Okay, like, hold on, stop. <laughs> like, okay, let's wait, get wait, to wait. the bottom of this. So what are these scorecards like? What are, They're filling them out? Yeah. So every team member, myself and my dad included, we all have scorecards. These scorecards get filled out once a month by What's on like them, the, the, the team. Um, like key metrics, a lot of them are like okay. numbers. And then okay. some of them is like what I call the, the fluffy stuff, which is more subjective. Um, our company values are there. Um, and so every month you have to kind of give examples of how you showed up in the company values or how you didn't. And it becomes a, a you know, a, a, a conversation, a way to facilitate a conversation so that it's actually really nice as, as a, a team member to know, oh, I'm actually killing it. Like the scorecard is sick. You know, mm -hmm. it feels really good. And then also with performance evaluation, it becomes very clear um, mm. like where you stand. So cool. the scorecards are critical because they give you that operationalized accountability so that I don't need to be checking, oh, they came in half an hour late today. Like, I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. I don't care if you're half an hour late. 
what's your scorecard look like? Are we doing what we need to do? Like, that's what I care about. So it keeps Mm -hmm. us focused. Yeah. And it keeps people like accountable for themselves too. So you're not always having to like breathe down their necks. They get to kind of use that as a reference point and be like, and, and a reference point for you too. Like maybe there is like a gap or something that needs to be fixed. If there's a, you know, a common thing between all of the employees and you know where to look and what to change, which is super cool. Yeah. All right. So we're going to wrap it up. And before we finish every episode, I always like to ask um, and do a segment called the mindful minute. So, I mean, you've given a lot of advice and insights so far, but if there was one piece of advice that you would share with anyone listening, whether it's an entrepreneur, um, you know, or someone who's thinking of starting a brand, what would that be? This is a really good question. Um, my mantra that I say all the time is, and I think I've probably said it a couple times in this podcast, it's, it's not just for business. Mm -hmm. It's like in life, it's not what you do. It's how you do it, how you show up, Mm. how you navigate difficult times, stressful periods, awkward conversations, uh, the wins, the lows, like everything. That's what matters, not what the outcome is. Yeah, so true. I agree with that for sure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing all about the company that you've built with your dad. I can't wait to see where you guys go and just take over the industry since that is the goal. Um, Where can everybody go to learn more about Fits on social, website, all that stuff? Yeah, so you can... Find all of our products at fits.com, F-I-T-T-E-S.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at fits and TikTok. Easy peasy. And and TikTok. Oh, on TikTok. Yeah, we're we're TikTokers. We're TikToking? Oh, I didn't see your TikTok. I'm going to go check it out. All right, that's it, guys. I haven't seen it either. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, we're going to sign off and go check out TikTok, as should you, listeners. So um, we'll chat next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you're feeling generous, a review would be much appreciated. This podcast is brought to you by Nomad Creative. Visit nomadcreative.com for all of your marketing, branding, and social media needs.